Support for this podcast provided by Wisconsin Historical Society Press, proud publishers of Madison in the 60s by Stuart Levitin, an absorbing and evocative account of 10 years that changed the city forever. To order Madison in the 60s and other beautiful books that share our state's centuries-long history and culture in service to the mission of the Wisconsin Historical Society, visit wisconsinhistory.org slash whspress. Madison in the 60s, February 1969, The Black Studies Strike, Part 2. Inspired by the UW Symposium entitled The Black Revolution to What Ends, and challenged by San Francisco State Professor Nathan Hare to take radical steps, the Black People's Alliance started a strike for the Black Studies Department on Friday, February 7th. That gave them all weekend for rallies and actions. Saturday afternoon, BPA leader Willie Edwards tells a large Great Hall crowd that, quote, the only power we have is to disrupt. And if their demands are not met, quote, this university will not function. After the rally, approximately 600 students march on the field house to disrupt the Badger basketball game with Ohio State, many chanting, two, four, six, eight, organize and smash the state. Alerted by agents at the rally, the university calls in city police. A contingent of about 150 helmeted police with riot sticks and tear gas arrives barely five minutes before the protesters. If they had not arrived at the fieldhouse when they did, Chancellor Edwin Young tells the regents the following Friday, quote, 600 persons would have poured into that basketball game and there would have been a great deal of violence between spectators and disruptors. As it is, there are scuffles at various fieldhouse gates and Governor Warren Knowles's black ramblers vandalized. Four students, one black, three white, are arrested for disorderly conduct and battery to a police officer. Most of the 11,000 basketball fans inside are unaware of the disturbance. Edwards and about two dozen blacks have tickets and are inside, but their only disruption is giving the black power salute during the national anthem and some synchronized seat switching. They leave after halftime to scattered applause and miss sophomore guard Clarence Sherrod leading the Badgers to an upset victory over the Buckeyes. That night, Chancellor Young issues a statement highlighting the university's initiatives, including efforts to recruit minority faculty, adding one more black staff member to the student affairs office, and seeking further funding. Young touts recent changes in the university's academic program, the first three-credit Afro-American Cultural and Intellectual Tradition course in the new Afro-American Concentration in the American Institutions program with a series of guest lecturers, a black history course, and a black literature course taught by a black professor, a law school seminar on law and minority groups, and poet Gwendolyn Brooks's one-semester creative writing course. It would be a tragedy if anything were allowed to cloud this progress and threaten the future, Young says, and warns that anyone obstructing classes or other university activities is subject to arrest for unlawful assembly. Students who do so may also get suspended or expelled. While peaceful picketing and legal protest must and will be protected on this campus, Young declares, intentional disruption of classes cannot and will not be tolerated. The WSA Student Senate votes on Sunday to support the strike provide bail money for arrestees, and condemn indiscriminate violence. The WSA releases a report by WSA President David Goldfarb and Marjorie Tabankin, co-organizer of the Black Revolution Symposium, 
calling the university, quote, a racist institution whose only response has been manipulation, avoidance, and co-optation. The WSA report concludes with a call for, quote, all students to mobilize in a united front to strike against the racism endemic in this institution. The BPA's Libby Edwards tells about 150 students at the Green Lantern Eating Cooperative that, quote, disruption will take place, but the tactics must remain secret. The week of February 10th starts peacefully, with about 1,500 picketing, but not obstructing, major classroom buildings. Classes continue, with strikers entering some classrooms and asking for permission to address the students. Chancellor Young issues another statement, calling for, quote, an atmosphere of reasoned cooperation and mutual concern. No one who talks about shutting down the university can convince me that the welfare and advancement of black people is his foremost concern. At night, a thousand rally on the mall, then climb the hill to Bascom Hall. Amid shouts of, burn, baby, burn, demonstrators burn an effigy of university administrators in Abraham Lincoln's lap. Then they marched to the Capitol, filling nearly three city blocks, their number augmented by many high school students. After a Tuesday morning mall rally for a thousand, an uptick in intensity. A few hundred protesters walk through buildings chanting, On strike! Shut it down! They don't attract any adherence and leave when police arrive. But a few hours later... Around the same time, the state Senate is unanimously adopting a resolution denouncing, quote, the wanton destruction, illegal activity, and disruption of our universities by revolutionaries and their supporters, black leaders tell the thousand or so at a Union Theater rally of a new tactic, a non-penetrable picket line, people standing in the schoolhouse doors of the College of Letters and Sciences to block anyone from getting in. And when police come to make like steam and vaporize. And they do. Some form the first affinity groups, linking up and linking arms. Some fistfights break out between students blockading buildings and those attempting to enter, but the lines generally hold, and hundreds leave or are turned away. Groups in the hundreds have effectively seized control of several university buildings, when close to 200 city and county officers sweep up the hill. The students blocking building entrances withdraw at their approach, but several hundred are already occupying Bascom Hall hallways, which they continue to do until police clear and close the building about 4.15 p.m. After that, police form a line in front of the building and endure abusive shouts from a mob of 2,000, many of whom pelt them with snowballs as they later retreat. Wednesday afternoon, an overflow crowd of 1,500 at a Union Theater rally cheer as black leaders urge them to close down the university. Afterward, hit-and-run strikes by strikers escalate. They block and occupy more buildings for more than three hours, even briefly blocking Van Hise, which houses President Fred Harvey Harrington's office. There are several minor injuries, most coming when some of the 200 anti-strike Hayakawas named after the strike-breaking president of San Francisco State, and including members of the Young Americans for Freedom, Sigma Epsilon Phi fraternity, and some football players, battle blockaders on the line. Three buses are vandalized on their campus routes, and traffic is so badly disrupted that the Madison Bus Company shuts down campus bus service for two hours. Police make several arrests, including of the only football player supporting the strike, black freshman Harvey Clay, 
who later loses his scholarship and goes home to Texas. With city and county law enforcement unable to maintain this pace or scope of response, Mayor Otto Feske and the university leadership ask Governor Knowles to call out the Wisconsin National Guard, which he does a little after 3 o'clock that afternoon. The 1st Battalion of 900 Guardsmen begin arriving in jeeps with machine guns permanently attached around 9.30, two nights before the weekend. And that's this week's Madison in the 60s. For your award-winning, listener-supported WRT News team, I'm Stu Levitan.